on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. It's November 10th. I'm your host, Gabriela Silva-Ponte. Today, I'm coming at you with a live segment, and we'll be covering stories from the Trudeau government's budget cuts to a pumpkin show of action to Domestic Violence Awareness Month. It's my first time going live, and although the content matter is heavy, I'm excited to be here with you today. This week is our Fun Drive week, and you can make a monetary donation at fundrive.ca. As always, let's take a look at today's top news. A trigger warning on today's contents, we will be discussing matters of domestic violence and abuse. The Trudeau government has unveiled a new plan to cut $500 million in spending. The budget cuts announced Thursday showed that the Canadian Space Agency and the Invest in Canada hub will be seeing a 1% spending freeze. But the announcement did not show 61 departments and agencies as government bodies taking cuts, CBC News reports. The government said the cost cuts excluded agents of parliament and small organizations with budgets under $25 million a year. But CBC reports many of the excluded departments, like the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority and the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, have higher than $25 million budgets. The government is freezing 0.2% of the budgets for some national museums, such as the Canadian Museum of Nature and the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. But the National Museum of Science and Technology will keep its nearly $40 million budget. The Department of Finance is seeing the smallest budget cut with only a 0.0007% decrease, CBC reports. Contrastingly, the Department of National Defense seems to be the governmental department with the highest budget cut. It's seeing a $500 million cut, or approximately 0.76% of its originally $27.5 billion budget. Finance Minister Christia Freeland said back in April in the 2023 budget release that the reductions would represent savings of $15.4 billion over the next five years. But the department will be given a one-time additional grant of $1.5 billion. $500 million of this will go towards military aid for Ukraine, CBC reports. The Treasury Board wrote, quote, Ministers and their departments were given the flexibility to reduce spending across their portfolios. As a result, spending reductions may vary among portfolio organizations. And Treasury Board President Anita Anand told reporters, this is just the first tranche of the results relating to our spending review. She added, you are going to see additional examples of departments coming forward, and it won't always, in the separate tranches, be precisely equal. But generally speaking, the exercise is for each department to take a look within their departments, not to take all of it from operating budgets, but to look across their spend to see where savings can be had. The Treasury Board said it worked with departments to identify possible budget cuts. Other departments that required more attention were reviewed by a committee of cabinet ministers. CBC reports. The Canadian government's estimated spendings is $443 billion. Finance Minister Christian Freeland said in April of 2023, budgets released that the reductions would, quote, represent savings of $15.4 billion over the next five years. The World Health Organization updated its COVID-19 guidelines for treatment Thursday. New categories of hospitalization risk will hopefully help doctors determine treatment. Patients with non-severe COVID-19 symptoms are considered to be low risk, which means their chance of hospitalization is 0.5%. 
The number rises to 3% chance if they fit into one or more of the following criteria. 65 years or old or older, have obesity, have diabetes and or chronic cardiopulmonary disease, chronic kinder, kidney or liver disease, an active cancer, those with disabilities, and those with comorbidities that come with a chronic disease. Patients with non-severe COVID-19 have a 6% chance of being hospitalized if they have diagnosed immunodeficiency syndromes or are receiving immunosuppressants due to organ transplant or an autoimmune illness. WHO categorizes severity based on the following symptoms. Pneumonia, severe respiratory distress, oxygen saturation in the blood below 90%, septic shock, or acute respiratory distress syndrome. This update also includes recommendations on antivirals. The guidelines change the threshold for prescribing medications for patients with a mild case. CTV News reports. Before, a drug would have to reduce someone's risk of hospitalization by 6%. Now, the threshold is 1.5%. The guideline says this change is due to, quote, increased availability of drugs and higher confidence in their safety profiles. Paxlovid is the only drug that WHO strongly recommends for use on patients with non-severe COVID-19 who are at high risk of hospitalization. WHO conditionally recommends using remdesivir for non-severe COVID-19 patients at high risk of hospitalization. This is an antiviral medication used initially to treat hepatitis C, CTV reports. The guidelines only recommend the use of molnupiravir, which is similar to the previous drug, when a patient cannot tolerate other medications. But WHO notes that the long-term harms of it are still unknown. The agency is recommending that Avermectin, which has gained popularity, not be used for the treatment of COVID-19. The guidelines state there is not enough research on the oral antiviral drug and its effects. The guidelines say new data is also showing, quote, very low likelihood of benefit because of a, quote, lack of biological basis for any effect of Avermectin on the virus. The medication is approved for the use in humans to treat parasitic infections, CTV reports. This WHO guideline update marks the 14th update to the guidelines in the past three years. Remembrance Day is taking place this Saturday, November 11th. If you'd like to attend a ceremony, here are some of the ones taking place this weekend. Old City Hall, located on Queen Street, will hold its ceremony at 10.45 a.m. York Cemetery Cenotaph, located in Beecroft Road, will hold its ceremony at 10.45 a.m. The York Civic Center will hold its ceremony at 10.45 a.m., and there are many others hosting their ceremonies between 10.30 and 10.45 a.m. Additionally, you may see some changes in your commute. The Toronto Transit Commission will pause its service for two minutes at 11 a.m. on Saturday. For those looking to visit LCBO or the beer store, check your nearest location as they will operate on reduced hours on Remembrance Day, CP24 reports. Finally, banks, federal government offices, and post offices will be closed on Monday, November 13th. Meanwhile, the Migrant Workers Alliance for Change organized a show of action on October 31st. The organization, along with supporters, dropped off painted pumpkins at several Member of Parliament's offices and Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland's office. Some of the pumpkins had status for all written and painted across them to signify the organization's request of permanent residency for all. I spoke with Migrant Workers Alliance for Change organizer Saram Rowe, who described what the alliance is.
the Migrant Workers Alliance for Change is a workers' organization that supports and also takes action with migrants in four key sectors. That's migrant agricultural workers and fisheries workers, as well as um, care workers and domestic workers, current and former international students, and all low-wage workers who are undocumented, most of whom, many of whom are refused refugee claimants. Together, we um, are um, we're membership based. Our members are making decisions every day about the changes to the systems and the rules uh, to improve our collective situation. And we're fundamentally seeing that as long as people are here on temporary work or study permits or don't have um, immigration status because they're undocumented. There is a denial of basic rights, including labor rights, denial of basic services uh, like life-saving treatment for health care um, for themselves as well as their children, um, lack of protections, as well as the daily fear of living in deport, uh, daily fear of um, facing deportation or being torn apart from their loved ones or their communities here. When there's a section of our society, one in 23 people is the lowest estimate of the number of people here who don't have permanent resident status. When there's a section of our society who are denied rights, then it hurts all of us, right? It gives the employers and the landlords um, and corporations as well as educational institutions impunity to act as they will. And that really pushes the floor down for all of us. But there is a simple solution, and so we are calling for everybody to have equal rights and protections, and the only way that's possible is through permanent residence status for all. Rowe also described what the event on October 31st was and how many individuals showed up. Yes, so as many politicians and the people who make decisions about our lives, including Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland, as well as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, get to spend the day with their families, with their children, painting or carving pumpkins, eating candy, migrant and undocumented people are uh, living in fear, are separated from their own uh, children and um, simply don't have the same rights as everybody else. So migrants painted the status for all pumpkins um, and delivered them to um, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland um, and had a huge um, uh, 15 feet wide pumpkin as well. And next to the pumpkin um, installation, there was also a web of spheres. This was a spider web that it was installed and it said living without permanent resident status is scary. And there were um, within the cobwebs stories of migrants' experience of facing of wage theft, abuse by employers, of not being able to access health care, of um, the indignity of um, not of being discriminated against and not being able to speak up because the punishment is so high. Um, and at the same time, it was migrants and undocumented people who came forward unmasked, unafraid um, to share their stories and demand that um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his cabinet colleagues immediately um, keep the promise that PM Trudeau made 
and create an uncapped regularization program that grants permanent resident status for all undocumented people in this country. It's been 22 months since he made that promise and every day of delay is a, another day of justice denied. So there were uh, more than um, a dozen at Minister Freeland's office, but at the same time and throughout the day, um, pumpkins were delivered um, at over 25 minute member of parliament offices across the country. Um, in the DTA alone, um, all of the new cabinet ministers who have been appointed by Prime Minister Trudeau um, were visited with these pumpkins, um, as well as a letter um, on uh, regularization demanding that um, they do um, they do what their constituents want, which is to um, ensure that Prime Minister Trudeau keeps the promise he made um, and creates an uncapped regularization program immediately. And Roe described how politicians, uh, when asked if they faced any repercussions, Roe said no. No, I mean, because it would be, you know, pumpkins are so cute, right? They're um, round and they were painted with um, uh, very colorful um, images. Some of them were carved um, with status for all. And it was constituents themselves who delivered them to their MP offices and not just once. Um, for some um, MP offices, constituents delivered pumpkins uh, throughout the day. Um, and it's simply a message, right? These are elected officials, um, many of whom um, uh, have reiterated the promise that Prime Minister Trudeau has made multiple times and want to see that their elected officials um, actually keep their word. And we're seeing that um, people are... Um, are seeing the injustice that migrants and undocumented people face when they are denied permanent resident status and are um, uh, holding their um, uh, elected officials accountable. So it was a, you know, friendly action, uh, but one that is firm and continues to ensure that uh, they are accountable to these promises. Permanent resident status is not a game. It's not a lottery. It's a matter of life and death. And Roe described how politicians reacted. Yes, many accepted uh, the letters uh, that were delivered as well as directly in their hands, accepted the pumpkins, um, saying that um, they, they, they know. They also have said that, you know, they know about the issue because people have come to their offices many, many times before about regularization and status for all. Um, and so um, we are watching closely and, you know, thousands of constituents across the country are watching closely to ensure that um, Prime Minister Trudeau keeps the promise that he made. You know, and, and people are seeing that this is really isn't good for any of us when um, there's a section of our society who doesn't have the same rights as everybody else. And as we said on Halloween, we want rights, not fright. Finally, November marks Domestic Violence Awareness Month. According to the media release sent to Met Radio by the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association, 
Quote, the World Health Organization estimates that one in three women will become a victim of abuse over their lifetime. I spoke with the president of the CCPA and registered psychotherapist Carrie Foster, who works with couples and families quite frequently. She described what the association is. Yeah, the CCPA is um, an organization. It's a Canadian-wide organization, an organization that's from coast to coast, north and south of Turtle Island, as we know it. And uh, we are 14,000-plus members that work in mental health um, in different capacities. Some are in schools, some are in private practice, some of our members um, are in medical uh, facilities, hospitals, or clinics across uh, Turtle Island, as I said, yeah. She also described what domestic violence is and what it can look like. Okay, so domestic violence can be anything from the, you know, what we most obviously see as, you know, the actual uh, physical abuse of a victim. Um, so that can, you know, look like, you know, actual beatings, if you will. But it can also be emotional, verbal, and financial abuse, and also environmental control. So if you let me just sort of break that down a little bit. So uh, we know about the physical abuse. The emotional abuse can be negative negative um name calling or which is also verbal right but something that's going to make you feel less than you are and and i'm saying than you and i mean male or female in that right because it can be both we often think that it's male but it can also be females that are the abusers so i just want to leave that open there um but yes most often it is women um today uh obviously in cisgender couples uh it's also financial abuse which can mean like um you know you give me your money at the end of the day when you get your paycheck and i'll let you know what you can have and what you can spend it on right so that controlling aspect environmental control can look like um checking your phone checking your emails um scaring you by, you know, you're in the car and I'm driving and I'm not going to let you out when you need to get out or I'm going to drive faster to scare you, right? So it's all those things that can mm, make the person who's the victim feel um, unsafe, unprotected, unheard, and unworthy, right? So intimate partner violence um, directly affects the individual. It also affects, and we shouldn't forget about that, if there are children in the picture, that it also affects them. They hear the yelling, they hear the screaming, they hear, you know, even if they're in their rooms, right, they, they know what's going on, okay? So does that give you kind of an overall view of what intimate partner violence is? Foster discussed what Domestic Violence Awareness Month is and how therapy goes hand-in-hand with this. So specifically here in Canada, when we talk about um, about this month as our... Um, it's, it's, it's trying to look at the domestic, domestic violence and make us aware of. So we're looking at uh, the same way as mental health 
still is and has been stigmatized, so we don't talk about it. There's a lot of shame around um, victims of violence, domestic violence. So we are here to, to bring it to the forefront, to talk about it, to challenge the stigma and shame around speaking out about the fact that you are, and also about getting help, right? So often victims of uh, domestic violence stay at home. They don't, um, you know, or they'll go to work, but they, they won't speak up about it. They won't look at it so we speak up about it we bring it to the forefront so I really appreciate this interview because it allows people to start thinking maybe a little bit more than they have and for people you know that are suffering from domestic violence um, that they give themselves a chance to be heard and to get the help that they might seek so specifically what we do in terms of the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association when we're talking about Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Making sure people know that they can have a voice, that that they are not alone. You know, one in three, one in three women will suffer in the course of their lifetime at least one episode, right? many suffer many more so they aren't alone and perhaps they didn't realize that perhaps they didn't realize the different levels of physical um, emotional verbal and financial and environmental abuse that that are that are out there right so maybe now they can recognize it more now they can speak up for it more when we've come from a place um of domestic violence when we have suffered we tend to have lost our self-esteem, our sense of self, our self-empowerment. There are maybe different um, psychological areas that need strengthening, that need um, to be looked at. Uh, so there's an education element to it. There's also um, the element of of just greater self-understanding and gaining self-esteem esteem and insights into oh these are the things that I do that keep me in here how can I get myself out and it's not about blaming the victim we often feel very stuck but once we've gotten out or what even if we're in perhaps we can find the ways and the tools to find our voice as women or men um, suffering from from domestic violence from intimate partner violence so that's how counseling psychotherapy can help. Getting you to heal from what's going on, whether it's your nervous system that's now hyperactivated, right? Because this causes trauma, right? This impacts our sense of well-being, our, our ability to negotiate life, navigate the, the ups and downs, and feel good about ourselves. So that's what counseling and psychotherapy can do to help you out if you've come from this space. Lastly, she left some words of advice for anyone listening who might be a victim of domestic violence or who might be looking to help this cause in any way they can. If there's somebody that's listening, I would say there are places for you to reach out and get help. You can um, go to the CCPA, so that's the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association website, just type in CCPA um, and uh, psychotherapy or counseling, and you would get that site up. And then go to find a Canadian certified counselor, and you could find people that are available to work with you. There are also a number of websites, um, and your, your, um, 
uh, what am I trying to say, your listener uh, area, I'm guessing, oops, is probably more uh, in Ontario. And I'm just, I know I have a, a list. So there's the, the crisis text line. There's a safety, uh, shelter safe.ca if people are trying to get out, right? Um, there's also in Ontario um, the Assaulted Women's Helpline uh, that people can call as well, and they have 100 different languages, including uh, 17 Aboriginal languages that, that uh, you can be serviced in. There's FEMAID, which is another, that's F-E-M apostrophe A-I-D-E if you want to talk now, right? Um, and that's a toll-free number. And you can Google those things and they will be there, right, online to help you um, discuss what's going on and what next steps could possibly be for you. So those are just a few uh, places you can check out to, to get help, to help support. I think that's a great question. Um, and I, and I like that sort of forward looking rather than waiting for the, <laughs> waiting for them to have that situation, but just to try and help out and give voice to, I mean, I think those are projects that I know in the past we've had students, um, cause I, we're also with Cam, Cam H, so that are able to, um, get together and have discussion groups of what they would do, handing out, you know, making up their own little, uh, flyers that would say where you can go to get help just being available and visible as as you know a group of of students that would like to help diminish the stigma just letting themselves have the voice and know that we are aware and these are the places you can go should ever that kind of information they can go they can see at their counselors i'm sure there's counselors counseling services at the university and even just going there and saying is there something that we can do to get this spread out there you know so that you know during this month there are activities organized around that any group of students could do to do their part and and that's always appreciated because every little step helps us bring that forward right November 11th is Remembrance Day. Let us take a moment of silence to honor those that died on the front lines for our country. That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. 
I'm Gabriela Silvaponte. This episode was put together by myself. Thank you for listening live, and we'll see you again next week, though most likely not live. <laughs>